Hello everyone and welcome back to the New Hampshire Business Show. My name is Chris Pastrana and today we're here with Gilletta Jarvis of the Libertarian Party. How's it going? Great, thanks for having me here. All right, awesome. Since today's a little different because you're not a business per se, um, so tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, I am a mother, wife, businesswoman. Um, I don't own my own business, but I have managed um, learning and de uh, development departments for various uh, industries, including um, finance was, is the latest. I've been um, in the finance world since 2007. Um, prior to that, I was in um, the healthcare and service industries, and I worked with environmental companies as well. Okay, pretty cool. So, on to the, the reason we're here. Let's talk Libertarian Party. <laughs> so, for those who don't know what the Libertarian Party is, because they're familiar with the other two, give us a little rundown on like your platform. Well, um, Libertarian ideals are more about limited government while still allowing you your social freedoms. So um, we don't care what you do in your bedroom, but we don't want to tax you out of control to be able to have that freedom to do so. Um, so my platform is to encourage growth of small business in the state, uh, to hold accountable people who are paid with taxpayer dollars, to add more transparency to our government, uh, meaning the state government, obviously, yeah. and to um, fix our education funding and um, uh, legalize cannabis. Let's see, right. I'm there's so many things that people yeah. ask me about. I don't. It's hard to go through the huge list of things, yeah, um, but priority. That would be to start with our economy because, for example, people who are happy and not depressed are less likely to become addicted to opiates okay. because they are happy and feel successful and um, those sorts of behaviors, those sorts of attitudes are not the type of attitude that typically makes one seek an alternative source for that happiness. Okay, that's interesting. Um, now, you, you had mentioned education, so mm -hmm. can you break down that real quick? Because I know that's a hot topic for a lot of people is like the education system and you know, everyone's just like, let's just throw money to pay more for the teachers and stuff. So I guess run into what you think needs to be altered there. Well, there's several different factors that need to come into play. One is the way that we educate. Uh, there are four states in this country where when you graduate from high school with a regular diploma, and we're not talking about those people who have honors, degrees, or college preparatory courses, um, just your regular diploma, that you are qualified upon graduation from high school to attend an in-state college. New Hampshire is not one of those four. Okay. So we're not educating people in our public school system to actually go to our public college system. We're, there's there's a, a, a gap between what we teach you here and what you would, we expect you to learn before you get here. Mm -hmm. So we need to fix that. And then the other thing we need to fix is we are dependent, we're so dependent on property taxes at a local level that there's a very large gap in what each town has to pay for the education, same education, mm -hmm of their students in this town versus this town. Yeah. Uh, we have uh, we have ratings in the US News and World Report on the best public schools in each state. Mm -hmm. We have one town that pays $40,000, a little over, per student. And yeah. we have one school that is uh, charging about a little over $12,000 per student. And the school that ha is $12,000 per student is actually rated one of the top schools in the state, mm -hmm. whereas the one that we're paying $40,000 per student at isn't even in an honorable mention. Hmm. So it's not money that makes a good education. Yeah. It's what they're taught when they're in there. What, what opportunities are these kids getting? So I want to put together a commission that will focus purely on 
working with the Department of Education to determine what do we need to get students to college or career. Okay, so either you're going to a college, you're going to a trade school, or you're going to a career. What do we need to be teaching to make you successful in those three paths? Okay, yeah. and how much does it cost to do that? And then what I'd like to do is offset that cost through legalization of casinos in the state. Now, it would be up to a town whether or not they'd want a casino, but yeah. because we'd allow it, the towns could then vote on whether or not they want one. For example, Salem wanted a casino in their town, yeah. but we said, mm, sorry, too bad. That's on the border. It's got a lot of traffic. Yeah. It's right off of 93. It would have been a perfect place to put one. And the revenue that came in from that could offset taxes throughout the state mm -hmm. for education. Yeah. This is something that they could offer in any town that wanted to approve it. Again, has to be approved by the town yeah. because you're not forcing people to live with a casino. We, yeah. I'm not into forcing people to do anything. <laughs> but we could help bring down property taxes because we have towns like Franklin where... The citizens there are saying, you know, we've lived here for decades. My family's lived in this town for decades. I can't afford to live here anymore. There are people whose homes have been completely paid off who are having to leave because they can't afford the taxes on, on their homes. Yeah. And, and that's just something that we shouldn't be doing. We, yeah. we should be protecting those that property of each person as best as possible, not taxing them out of it. Yeah. So that's, that's one of the things I want to say. And this commission would be comprised of public school, um, charter school, because they are also paid with taxpayer dollars, yeah. uh, university uh, representatives, so that we could know exactly, okay, this is what you need to get into a university. Yeah. Uh, you know, we, we want to make sure that everyone who needs to be involved should be involved. And then they could create at least two proposals to submit to the state house to change how we fund education. Now, we did pass a law, we, we went to court actually, and it was passed in 1997, decreed by the Supreme Court that we were funding educational in an unconstitutional manner. Mm -hmm. We still haven't changed it. Yeah. That was in 1997. Yeah. I think it's, I think our statute of limitations on how long it takes before you follow a Supreme Court decision has kind of expired by now. We should have done something about this by at this point. Yeah. yeah. There's that happens a lot. It does. It <laughs> does. Like, oh, who cares what they think? You know, That's okay. Whatever. We're the state. We're allowed to just forget it. Yeah. You know, if you're a citizen, no, no, no. You yeah. better well, have that like next week. <laughs> The state gets a little bit of the money and so we'll just parse it out to where it needs to go and that's how we'll say that we complied. Yeah, that's funny. Um, and I like that because I've actually heard it online a couple of times. It was brought up as a point where lower income communities, if you if you link that more money makes better teachers kind of thing, um, they brought up that you know poorer communities would have a worse education system. And because it's linked to property taxes, like mm -hmm. you were talking about, and how that's an issue. And I'm like, well, they make a good point, at least enough about, like, you know, basics. Because to a point, you know, it probably does make a little sense where if you can't hire decent teachers, then you're probably not going to have decent but, education. Yeah. But not to the extent they're going, but, you know, I could see the issue. Exactly. It And... If we're not funding fairly throughout the state, mm -hmm. then we end up with some people who are advantaged and we are disadvantaging, uh, causing disadvantage yeah. to other students. And that's not something that we should be doing in a public schooling system. Mm -hmm. um, and I do want to include school choice. I'm not including private schools in that. Mm -hmm. Private schools have, you know, they compete against each other public schools should compete against each other as well. And that would force them, if if you have a child with a disability, a learning disability, and there is a public school that is nearby that is incredible with people with learning disabilities. They have amazing teacher. You've heard great things about them. You should be able to pick up your child out of this public school and move them to that public school. Yeah. Um, if your child is being bullied, 
Sometimes mm-hmm. the best situation is just to say, you know what, we're done. We're, we're, these teachers are, or this administration is not listening to us, so we're going to move to a system that does listen to us. Yeah. And then the school systems start losing people if they're not meeting the needs of the students and the parents. Yeah. And so then they have to compete with each other in order to get that funding. Okay. I can see that. I can see an issue with the... Uh just the size of the buildings and everything like that. But Well, again, but a, a I, school would have to say, okay, well, now everybody wants to come to my school, so yeah. we unfortunately have to set criteria yeah. that says, okay, if you live in town, you get first dibs on the school. Yeah. Um, and, and after that, we have this many places that, you know, spots mm-hmm. that we can fill uh, in each of these grades because this is, you know, we have 10 spots in third grade. We have... 15 spots in ninth grade, yeah. you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. And then they can go from there either on a first come or meritorial, meritorial, that kind of thing. Yeah. Okay. I like that. Cool. So let's jump on to another one that kind of, I think would probably fall pretty close because you're talking about using casinos to kind of offset those costs. Let's talk about cannabis. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Not sure how it relates to casinos, well, but I'm sure well, I'll no, hear it. It's just the, the taxes that okay. to help offset property taxes, you can use you know revenue from the casinos. Yes, you can. Where people often bring this up when it comes to legalizing marijuana, where you can, uh, again, tax it, and then you can use that money for a similar thing. Yes, you could use revenue from cannabis and hemp. Mm-hmm. Um, they're two separate things, yeah. but I want to legalize both. Mm-hmm. Um, hemp would help restore some of the environmental impact we've had. Um, And that's a big deal to those people who are living in areas where the water has just been polluted to the point where they can't drink it. We need to start fixing that. Uh, Hemp has been planted near Chernobyl and found that it actually took up some of the radioactive waste uh, out of the ground. So it's it's definitely been proven. Um, But you can use part of the revenue from cannabis for education and we can also use part of the revenue towards treatment okay. for from addiction because we need to start treating addiction as a health issue and stop treating it as a criminal issue when we put someone into jail due to addiction or even if we put someone into jail without an addiction it has been proven that they are more likely to come out of the jail system the prison system being addicted Mm-hmm. which means they're, they have easier access to it in the prison yeah. than they do outside of it. And I know that they've tried to crack down on that, but I haven't seen any evidence that had, has been fixed. Yeah. So we have them locked in cells and still able to get yeah. you know, their heroin. So yeah. that it, it kind of still points to that corruption well, well maybe it does point to the corruption yeah because you don't want to don't want to directly imply that the police probably are ta- having part of it but well I, yeah i can't involved, say that there's a correctional officer who's bringing it in it could yeah. be anybody you, yeah. we don't know or it yeah. could just be that, that someone's not checking packages that get mailed in the right way yeah. um i know of someone in that was i won't say who but when her brother was in Vietnam, mm-hmm. she would send him um, joints yeah. in record albums. Okay. She would put them down into, like, she would show me, this is this Beatles album. This is where he was the most popular person in his unit because I'd send him his joints in there, and he would write back, oh, thanks for whatever keyword they used. She yeah. didn't tell me. Um, that's like, funny. that's just insane so it went all the way from massachusetts where she lived to um to vietnam yeah and yeah no one no one ever noticed that's funny you think there'd be a couple stops along the way that you would would think so (laughs) but yeah so i'm not saying that it's a correctional officer who's bringing it in it could be anything um that's happening but it's happening yeah okay interesting uh, so, let's see, so you're for legalizing across the board, so I guess we can talk about that a little bit. Um, what happens when we legalize 
marijuana? Because a lot of people would say it's a good thing, it's a bad thing. What's your view on that? Well, some people have expressed to me that they are concerned about children and their access to mm -hmm. it. Um, well, children should not be smoking. Yeah. Um, there's already uh, regulations against people under certain age not to smoke, not to drink. It, it would follow the same regulations. It wouldn't be legal for anyone under the age of 21. Are people able to access it? They are now. Um, unfortunately, I know that my daughter, when she was in high school, told me that when she would walk between the middle school and the high school, um, there would be people out on the path between the two schools selling drugs yeah. to the students. It was only, and it was students selling to students. There was access all the time. This is not, and when I was a kid, people offered drugs to me. It's not like it's a new thing that kids can be offered drugs. They shouldn't be offered drugs. We should not be allowing drugs to be sold in our school property. Unfortunately, it's happening. Is it going to decrease if we legalize cannabis? I don't know for sure. There was no change in Colorado with um, teenage cannabis use after legalization. There was no change. Yeah, because it would still be illegal for them. So it was still, still illegal for them. Yeah. So there was no change. There, it, there was not an increase. There was not a decrease. There was no change. Um, of, of another issue that people have asked me about was driving while under the influence. And that's already illegal. Yeah. You're not supposed to drive drunk. You're not, I mean, the reason that we changed it from DWI, driving while intoxicated, to DUI is driving under the influence is because that includes drug use. So yeah. if you are driving under the influence of anything, you are not a safe driver. They pull you off the road. So that rule would not change. Um, I've spoken to police officers, and they told me that they would much rather deal with a person who was high on cannabis than a person who was drunk, because a person who is drunk tends to get violent when you pull them over. Um, they swerve all over the road, um, whereas a person who is high on cannabis is the person who's driving super slow down the road and paying attention to every little thing. Now, I've never done either, so I don't can't tell you what the difference is, yeah. but, uh, and I don't know anybody who's driven while under the influence um, of drugs, though I have met, my brother worked as a mechanic, so I've been at his shop while people came in getting their uh, breathalyzer installed. So, yeah. and they've told crazy stories about what happened while they were drunk driving and how they got caught in. Um, we still have that legal and there's, you know, it It wouldn't stop people from yeah. doing stupid things. We can't stop people from doing stupid things and telling somebody that it's illegal to do stupid things doesn't stop them from doing it. So I understand where their concern is. Um, some people have looked at the rate of DUIs in Colorado as an example of you look at how many were reported previous to legalization, how many were reported after legalization, the number jumped an incredibly an incredible amount. I don't remember the exact percentage. But then if you look underneath the chart, it states that they were not tracking driving under the influence of cannabis previous to that year. Okay. So the numbers are different because they only started tracking the year that it became legal. Okay. Well, I mean, so you you can't yeah. do a comparison. There is no way to compare what happens before and what happens after, mm -hmm. unless you start tracking right now because it's not currently. Well, we already have decrim, so anybody could smoke a joint and then drive right now. Yeah. If if that's what was going to happen, we would have already seen the increase of driving under the influence. Yeah. And we haven't seen some big jump here in the state that's happened. Mm -hmm. So right now you can own what? Three quarters of an ounce? I don't know. <laughs> I, I think that's what it is. You Three quarters of an ounce. You can have three quarters of an ounce and not, and then you pay a fine, mm -hmm. um, but you don't go to jail. 
And this was to prevent people who were young from getting in trouble. Yeah. So that law was targeted at young people. Mm-hmm. My legalization is not targeted at young people. Yeah. It's targeted at adults. Mm-hmm. Um, but the whole purpose of the G-Crim bill was targeted at young people, yeah. um, which is disappointing. Um, I mean, it, their complaint to me that legalization will inspire young people to do more, but decrim was completely targeted at young people to keep their records clean. Yeah. So, and yeah. yet we didn't see an increase yeah. in driving under the influence. It, it did not happen. So I, to those I, I say, our, our proof is it doesn't happen. It's, I mean, it can happen, absolutely, just as much as somebody driving while intoxicated can happen. Yeah. But if they do, they have to run the risk of it being illegal and getting pulled over and getting a fine for driving under the, in, under the influence and having to either spend time in jail for causing an accident, having to spend time in jail because they've done it too often or um, endangering the lives of other people. Um, heavy fines that they can't afford to pay for endangering the lives of other people. But if you're just sitting at home or you have a designated driver, I don't think that the state should tell you what you can or can't do. Okay, cool. I like it. Okay, let's go on to guns. This is another hot topic that people like to get run on to. Okay. <laughs> I am pro-Second Amendment. Okay. Um, I've given a couple of different speeches about it, actually. Um, my father was a Vietnam veteran. Mm-hmm. Um, he was a sharpshooter. He was a code breaker. He um, lost his entire unit while he was over there. Mm-hmm. Um, and he came home and became a pacifist yeah. because he just saw, I mean, he woke up one night to a man leaning over him with a bayonet trying to slit his throat. Mm-hmm he saw too much violence. So he became a pacifist. And one day he was at a bar uh, in Ohio and it was a gun-free zone. And unfortunately, criminals don't listen to those laws. I think that's why they call them criminals, but I could be wrong. So he was in there and he was hitting on the bartender and the bartender was a friend of my father's. And she said to him, you should leave me alone. My boyfriend's right there. And so the guy asked my father to come outside and fight him. My Mm -hmm. father said no. So the man pulled out a gun and proceeded to shoot him in the bar. Mm. Um, No one there had a weapon. No one could defend him. No one could do anything about it. Everyone watched helplessly because what could they do? Mm. If this had been a place where it was not a gun-free zone, if you were allowed to carry your weapon, I mean, I know people here who say, tell me all the time that they're carrying right now, I I have a concealed weapon on me. I don't care. You can have a concealed weapon on you. Well, if somebody pulled a gun here, I would would pull mine. I would draw on them. And and by doing so, by or by openly carrying, it makes someone think twice about pulling a weapon because you've got 10 people right there who also have a weapon prominently displayed that oh, you, you're going to pull a weapon here? Well, I'm going to pull one. Um, and the most people who go into a situation like that, they, they go into it thinking that they're the only one there with a weapon, so they, are, they have power, they have control of the situation. No, everyone has to do what they say. But if you go into the situation where now everybody is now on equal footing, you don't have that control anymore. You don't have that power over other people. You, you're now on equal footing again. Mm-hmm. And it, it makes a lot of people think twice. Um, there was a comedian in Canada who said, why don't Canadians go to the U.S. to commit crimes? And he said, because we're not crazy. You never know who in America might have a gun on them. Yeah. And it's, it, it's supposed to be a joke, but it's true. If you go into a place or a state that has open carry, that has uh, um, constitutional carry, you don't know whose house you're breaking into that happens to have a weapon on hand. You don't know when you walk into a restaurant and you want to rob the place. You don't know who uh, in that restaurant has a weapon on hand. And each time a place has been held up 
throughout the country at a place where you weren't allowed to bring a weapon into it, mm-hmm. people have said, if only my, I was good, I'm a good citizen, I left my firearm out in the car because you're not allowed to bring it into this restaurant. If I had had it, I had perfect availability to end the whole thing. Yeah. And they couldn't. Um, so we could prevent more crimes. Yeah. Um, and that's, I think, one of the reasons that we don't see the kinds of shootings here in New Hampshire that we see in other states, because you don't know when you walk into a place who's who's carrying. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because we have the luxury of uh, constitutional carry now. Yes, we have the luxury of constitutional good. carry. <laughs> and that is something that I would not vote to repeal. Mm-hmm. Okay, good. I didn't even know people were trying to, but I mean, I'm sure they are. I know I'm that. Sure. <laughs> I know Molly Kelly, who's one of my opponent, okay. wants to repeal that. Yeah, it doesn't surprise me, actually. <laughs> and I know there are several other uh, candidates on that side of the fence as well who would like to see it repealed. Yeah. So, I mean, it's it's sad that it's a constant struggle to uphold a constitutional amendment. Yeah. Um, it, it shouldn't be something that we're constantly having to fight against because it's a right. It's guaranteed. So we shouldn't be fighting for rights that were guaranteed to us back when the country was created. Yeah. 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 It's like the one that we have to fight like the most for. Yeah. And well, the first is becoming a thing. Yeah. You know? So that's I guess something we can True. talk the, about too. The First Amendment is becoming an issue as well with all those safe spaces and yeah. you're not allowed to speak ill of anyone or anything at any time. And while I am not a fan of hate speech in any way, shape, or form, I would much rather hear you say out loud that you are filled with hatred for someone so that I know that I don't want to associate with you instead of having it um, bottled up where then you take it out on someone physically. I would rather hear you say bad things than see you do bad things. Um, And if you are filled with that much hatred and you're told you're not even allowed to think about it, eventually you act out on it. Yeah. So... And I think that safe spaces, when we're setting up safe spaces in colleges and such, we are teaching our children that they don't have to listen. They don't have to have empathy. They don't have to care about what anybody thinks other than themselves. Hmm. Your thoughts are the only ones that matter. And yes, they should be the only ones that matter to you. But if, if you have a different opinion than this person over here and you never hear them out, how... Do you know if you're right? Yeah. You've, you've never taken the time to consider an alternative position. And I think we're doing a disservice to our young by setting up safe spaces and telling them they're allowed to tell people that, they're, that they don't have the right to speak, that they don't have the right to have an opinion. Um, and I, I think that we're doing a disservice not just to those we're shutting up, but to the people who are doing the shutting up, that they think that that's acceptable now. And it promotes, it promotes bigotry. It promotes hatred. And we may be changing who we're hating, but it's hatred all the same. Yeah. Hmm. like it. Because <laughs> uh, I was watching, the, there was a big speech going on up at UNH. Mm-hmm. And I watched it and it was a, awful <laughs> you can, like some people are there to be good and it's just i'm like oh man there's actually people like that here in the state and there clearly are so it's a lot of students in the faculty who are just pushing for you know only certain people to get the right to speak yeah. you know and it's kind of sad to see across the board well i can say that during the charlottesville white supremacy march there mm-hmm. I was so disappointed and embarrassed when I found that one of the people arrested was from New Hampshire Mm -hmm. and happened to declare himself a libertarian. Um, And he kept saying that this is my values. I'm a libertarian. I'm from New Hampshire. I'm like, oh, shut up. No, you're not. Uh, It was horrifying to listen to this person. Um, And, you know, he had already... been kicked out of every group that I knew of due to those viewpoints. And now he was on national news declaring that this is who he was. And 
So then people started associating racism with libertarianism. No, you can, you can call yourself whatever you are. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean that that group that you're calling yourself a member of agrees with that. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, there are racist Republicans, there are racist Democrats, there are racist libertarians, there are racist non-declareds, there are just racists everywhere. And you, you know, just because um, a white man is racist against a black man doesn't mean all white men are racist. Yeah. Um, and I think that's something we need to stop going to the extremes of if one person says it, everybody must think it. Yeah, and, well, it's kind of, it's almost the reverse of what they're even saying. They're like, oh, you're racist for whatever. Like, you literally think all white people are racist, or you really think all (coughs) black people are racist. Like, it's the exact same thing. Exactly. They don't make that connection in their own heads. (laughs) Yeah, and, of course, when you're watching the news, the only people they're showing are the extremists because that's what's going to grab attention. They're not showing the people who don't have, don't want, don't believe in that same philosophy of of hatred. So they don't don't show those people. Those people get pushed off to the side. Oh, you're not going to make us uh, as many viewers as this crazy person over here, so we're going to interview the crazy person because that's much more sensational. We'll go with that. So now, um, after that, all of a sudden we've got this, you know, New York t- uh, article that says New Hampshire needs more diversity because <laughs> yeah, it was funny as heck. Like, okay, so we're going to force people to move here. How is that not racism all by itself? Yeah. Oh, you're black. Move here now. Come here. Yeah. Like, you can't force people to live here if they don't want to. Yeah. Why would you do that? Yeah, well, we're going to diversify the state. Good luck with the winner. <laughs> I, I just think it's terrible. I mean, I know people of all sorts of different colors, races, religions, all that live here in New Hampshire. Mm-hmm. And they came here because they wanted to be here. Yeah. What you do, you want to bring more people to New Hampshire, you make it easy to buy find housing that's affordable when every state the housing is more affordable than new hampshire they're not coming here Mm -hmm. you make it easy to find jobs right now people keep saying how wonderful the job market is we don't track that correctly Mm -hmm. we we are only allowed on unemployment for a very short period of time and then they kick you off the list. So your statistics are fabulous because, you know, oh, well, for six months we only have this many. And then all these people got kicked off. And I know people who were laid off in 2009 who still don't have uh, a job at the same pay level they had before they lost their jobs. Yeah. I run across people all the time now who've been laid off and are having to work retail jobs because those are the only jobs that are hiring. Mm-hmm. Um I was laid off in March because J.P. Morgan Chase left the state. Yeah. Um, they picked up. It's just too expensive to operate here. So they moved their business away. I had to train my replacement to do my job. Hmm. And I send out hundreds of resumes a week. And I hear back from maybe one or two of them. And then I don't hear from them again. It, it is not as easy to find a job. And the people that I hear from aren't in this state. Yeah. The employers that are in this state don't even respond. Yeah. So they're not chomping at the bit, as people say, to get employees here. Because, you know, if if someone says to you, oh, you've been in learning and design uh, for 18 years, you've managed teams of trainers, you've managed teams of designers, you've managed um, regulatory and risk compliance guidelines, you've, you've done everything. Uh, you've done the project management. You've, you've every single aspect. You're not qualified to be a trainer. What? Yeah. <laughs> how is how is that possible? Um, if anything, I'm overqualified at this point. But you know, that's unfortunately that's what everybody else tells me their experiences are. They had an eighty thousand dollar a year job, and the only thing that's will only people that are willing to hire them are you know Dunkin' Donuts, McDonald's, you know for you know, the minimum wage per hour, no telling when you're going to work, but they have mortgages and families, children that they need to support. And they just, they can't afford that because if they go to work, they have to 
have someone watch their child. Yeah. So you need to have enough to pay your bills, feed your child, clothe your child, and then put your child into some sort of daycare. But daycare is like $750 a week. I mean, yeah. you're paying thousands of dollars just to put a child in daycare. So you can't afford to work at a retail store when you know it, it, it doesn't work. So the economy is not what people think it is. Yeah. It's interesting because there's a bunch of things that you touched on that I'm like writing them down. I'm like, oh, oh sorry. These would, these would make great conversations. And because it all kind of rolls into well, points I have about different things, but you're the one here talking. So, um, <laughs> minimum wage. <laughs> I don't believe in setting a minimum wage. I, I don't think that increasing the minimum wage does anybody any good. Uh, small businesses would end up having to lose employees. Uh, I've had small business owners tell me that they had to fire all of their employees due to regulations that came down that made it so they could no longer afford to keep an employee. So now they just contract out so they don't have to pay for all these different things that the state wants you to pay an employee. So they just get freelancers when they need a specific job and then they let them go. Um, that's not security for anyone. And um, the, the companies that are able to increase their minimum wage, when Massachusetts increased theirs, to stay competitive all along the border, you found all of your uh, fast food restaurants, Panera Bread, all of those places also increased theirs to stay competitive in order to keep the employees, the good employees here. Yeah. So they, they do it willingly if... It's the only way to keep a good employee. So yeah. we, as employees, have more control than we like to give ourselves credit for. If we say, I'm sorry, I, I can't take a job that only pays minimum wage. And if everyone else says that, then, then we start having more control. But if we start demanding $15, $20 an hour from McDonald's, then go to Hillsborough, you'll see the kiosks where you go and you order your McDonald's food from there, which, you know, so you don't have to hire as many people to stand at the counter anymore. Yeah. So we're losing employees that way. That's how they deal with it when they are forced to deal with a demand of increased salaries. So what we need is more high paying jobs, not to increase the minimum wage, but to increase the amount of companies that are able to pay more, uh, such as, you know, your tech companies, your uh, financial companies, your, you know, those non-retail jobs. Yeah. Uh, those are the types of things we need to bring more of into New Hampshire. And we need to encourage entrepreneurship so you can start your own business. You have the skills, you have the desire. Now let's make it easy for you to do it. Yeah, absolutely. And that's why I'm here too, just so you know, <laughs> to help, uh, help that stuff along um okay so minimum wage and i think that actually touches on something you had said earlier about housing because property taxes are extremely high and the availability of properties is pretty low yeah um that's why the market is so hot you know you, a property goes up within like a day or two it'll have multiple offers and there's, there's not enough inventory yeah, so one of the reasons that this happens is you've got your smaller towns and someone wants to build a group of townhouses. Mm -hmm. And, for example, in my own town, um, the fear is, this is all related back to property taxes, mm -hmm. the fear is if we build townhouses or apartment buildings in our district, then they'll bring in more children. More children means higher property taxes, mm -hmm. which means that we'll have to pay more money than we're paying now and we can't afford to pay what we're paying now, so we can't allow apartment buildings, we can't allow townhouses, we can't allow condos because that's multiple units of people in one property. And that's one of the things that we have an issue with is that people in the town are not approving land to be bought for multi-unit homes because they were afraid of the property taxes. So when fixing education funding, we could fix part of that by making it so that more people could live there. I like that. Yeah, because that's one of the big things I've always been, that I go on about on my own end, yeah. is that driving down the property taxes and allowing 
more homes. One will increase the population, yep. hopefully, because you'd want people to want to move here. Yep. And if it's cheaper, they'll do so, which helps your workforce. Um, and then you, you name it, all the other benefits that come out of it. And that's a, probably one of the better ways to grow the state, but you'd have to handle the taxes portion, which is... Yeah. Everything you know, snowballs off of the other. Yeah, absolutely. We have to fix the property taxes, and we have to fix the economy. And if we don't fix them both at the same time, yeah. it won't work. Yeah. Or it'll look like it fails. And we'll be it'll like, look like it fails when really you just need both of them to start at the same time. Yeah. And by fixing those two things, now all of the other things will start to snowball into effect. You start to see a, an increase in jobs. You start mm -hmm. because we we need to lower the energy rates. We need to you know lower the property taxes, and we need to. Um, fix education funding in order to do that we need to fix the economy so all of those those four things together we can get those four things done in the next two years mm -hmm. we'll suddenly see drops in opioid addiction we'll suddenly see drops in suicides we'll suddenly see all those things that are social um, issues right now will start to dissipate because now we've got people who can suddenly take a breath and they're not constantly stressed they're not constantly depressed they're not yeah constantly searching for the next next you know problem to happen because okay now i have a little bit of stability again now yeah. i can be self-sufficient again now i can care for my family again these things are what hold a person together as an adult you know what are the basic things you need to be able to do you need to be able to take care of yourself and your family yeah if you can't do that then what, I mean, especially men, they were taught, uh, I mean, it's not so much younger men now, but our older men, um, middle-aged and up, were taught your responsibility is to take care of your family. You must have a job. You must do this. You must do that. And then uh, we have an economy that suddenly we need to meet this criteria of we need this many minority groups in the business and as a person who is doing hiring I know that that's still a fact even though people don't want to say that it's true so we started hiring a bunch more women we started making sure that we were hiring as many people as we could that weren't white males so now you have this group of people who have been taught this is their responsibility this is the only thing that you need to make sure you're doing in life suddenly can't do it anymore so why is the suicide rate in white men that are middle-aged and up higher than every other group it's the economy because we are forcing them out of the position that we taught them forever that they needed to be in and it's depressing it's disappointing it's depressing it causes anxiety it causes you know stress it causes arguments because they you know unfortunately a lot of these people don't know how to deal with those emotions and they don't know how to fix it so yeah. We need to provide the opportunity. Yeah. I like that because it takes a lot to be able to say a lot of that right there. Because a lot of people are afraid to even touch it. <laughs> I know. I know. I'm I'm not supposed to say any of that. But it's a fact. It's true. And um, I've never hidden from the truth. Yeah. Truth is more important than feelings. <laughs> well, the truth <laughs> is about feelings. It, it, it's all emotional. It's, you know, we're talking about the emotions of people. And I know that... Um, we want to make the world seem like this group has oppressed for so long and now it's this group's chance to take over, but can't we just all be equal together? Why can't we all have opportunity instead of saying only this group can have opportunity, only that group can have opportunity? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we shouldn't be doing that. We're all human. We are all individuals. Open the opportunity doors to everyone. Yeah. And I'm a woman. I'm one of those minority groups that's supposedly opp oppressed. And, uh, you know, we get paid less and we get all these other factors that you constantly hear about. I would love to see my husband back in the job that he had before he got laid off. You know, yeah. he would be happier. He would be um, he would be more confident again. Um, I mean, not that he's not now. He's an incredible person. And, you know, yeah. I still have a great deal of respect for him. Mm -hmm. But. There are a lot of men who are older than him who, you know, and once you get to a certain age, forget about getting hired. You yeah. can just forget it. Um, it's not going to happen unless you're really lucky. Yeah. And I know ageism is one of those things we're not allowed to do, but it's 
It's still practiced. Of course. I, I mean, talk to, I talked to one person who said that what she did was she accidentally did a typo in her birth year, and she suddenly started getting a lot more contacts from employers because she was suddenly 10 years younger. And then when they would talk to her and uh, when they actually would meet her, they'd be like, wait a minute, I thought on your form here it said you were born in 1979, mm -hmm. not 1969. Oh, gosh, that must be a typo. But by that point, they'd already talked to her and they'd already yeah. given her an interview, whereas before they weren't even reaching out to her. I don't know what her actual year of birth is, or I know that it was yeah. a 10-year difference on her typo. Um, but I was like, that's really disappointing that, you know, that happened. You know, I know that when my mother was 50, she lost her job and had to apply for others and she could not. They, they just wouldn't even talk to her. She said, I'm not retirement age yet. I don't want to retire. I'm, I'm. Yeah, I need to work. I, I want to work. <laughs> um, you know, she lived by herself in a little house. She needed to pay for it. So, yeah. and I mean, that was a while ago. She's employed now, but um, it took a while. It took her longer than ever before to find a new job. Yeah. And then, you know, this is, this is what we have to face. And people keep saying that the economy is great, but it's really, it's not as great as people like to think. And, yeah. Unless you're in the medical field, like a doctor or nurse, or you're in retail business or a salesperson, mm -hmm. your chances of finding a job are not as high as people like to say they are. Yeah. I guess that's good because I've always seen it as, you know, it's pretty good, but I'm in sales. So, like, I literally could walk in anywhere and get a job. Yeah. Like, it's, it's easy. <laughs> you know, I've never had issues. But I guess there are industries that I wouldn't know enough about to... Yeah, there's a Let's lot of jobs that yeah. we really specialized in areas for quite a long time. People got very specialized in their field. And now when you look at jobs, they want, um, for example, instead of wanting a, a web designer, they want a web designer who's also a graphic designer who yeah. also can do technical artwork. And, you know, unless you just graduated from college, you can't do all of those things because they were training people to specialize. So you were a web designer, but you didn't know how to. So people are trying to expand and the work's not quite, the, the quality of the work's not quite the same, but you know, it, it'll pass. Yeah. You know? So you have to upgrade your skill levels, but it, you have to pay to go back to college to do that. Or how do you find the ability to do that? Um, yeah. There are colleges now, there, it, this is becoming a thing. There are free colleges out there that you can do online courses. Um, and that's that's good for learning, but we need more of that. Yeah. We need to encourage companies who want to offer those courses, those classes, to uh, promote their employees or to promote just regular citizens. I, I want to start up a free college here in the state. Can yeah. I do it? Yeah. Oh, yeah, you can. You should be able to. Um, those are the things we need to encourage. That's a very interesting idea. I'm going to write that down. Okay. I like that. I'm going to figure out how to do something like that <laughs> as we go forward. There is a company called uh, University of the People, mm -hmm. and they uh, offer free. The only thing you pay for is the assessment at the end. So one course, um, which is uh, three credits, yeah. I, I don't remember, costs $200. Oh. That's a huge difference from what it costs for regular, yeah. you know, regular colleges. So. Yeah. Where they're like, yeah, it's like $900 per credit hour. And yeah. Like, Oh, and please. plus your books, but yeah. their books are all online, so you just have to have, you know, they send PDFs out, um, and it, every the whole class is online. You can't go to a building, so that's how they keep a lot of their costs down. Is their their professors all work from home? A lot of them are actually professors at other colleges as well, yeah. um, so that's how they keep a lot of their costs down. But I think that it would be. Um, very beneficial to people to start up more of those types of university students who are looking for them. Okay, okay, good. So, before we run super long into this, I wanted to get onto probably the most hot topic one we've talked about besides guns, and that's healthcare. 
Healthcare. <laughs> Let's open up that can of worms right here at the end. There's a lot. There's a lot to that one as well. Just yeah. like education and and the economy, it's not just one issue. People yeah. think it is. Um, I have to say that it drives me crazy when people think that healthcare would be solved if insurance was a certain way. But insurance is just who pays the bill. It's not what keeps your costs down. It's not what makes sure that people actually pay attention to you. I can tell you that I know people who are on state care and their doctors treat them differently than someone who's on private insurance. Mm -hmm. They don't make as much money off of state insurance, so they have avoided certain things. This one person has a tumor in his head. Um, it's causing him a great deal of difficulties, but the state doesn't get as much money for doing any cranial surgery because it's a dangerous procedure, so they have avoided it. Um, it's been two years now, and it's only getting worse because tumors grow. Yeah. Um, and it's just astounding to me when people think that if we just, you know, public size... Yeah. Our, our insurance and make it single payer that suddenly everything will be better yeah. there's a lot more issues to it first of all you have to think about who does the government favor right now if you have a lot of money you pay for lobbyists to go to the federal government and lobby for your pill mm -hmm. um, and I this is a story I've told to people before but um, I went in to my doctor and I needed medication and I said look the only thing that I ask is that you don't give me anything that could be addictive I've never been addicted to anything I don't want to start being addicted to anything so I don't no narcotics no opioids I don't want to be on any of that so he said okay I'll give you this this medication for this I went, perfect okay so I come back later and he said and I said you know that's really not doing too much and he starts talking about granite hammer and we have this conversation about granite hammer and i'm like what what does any of this have to do he's like oh well because you're on an opioid we have to and I'm like, okay stop the conversation right there yeah why am i on an opioid yeah how how did that happen because didn't i say i didn't want any narcotics or opioids because i don't want anything that could be addictive yeah oh yeah that's right you did say that well this is just the one that we always prescribe so the issue is not my health insurance because my health insurance paid for it. Yeah. The issue is these are the drugs that are pushed. These are the ones who have the money to, to push it because they have been lobbying for so long. And a lot of the side effects don't have to be publicized as much um, because of that lobbying. For example, let's go back to the guns because you brought it up before. The school shooters, mm -hmm. most of them were on a medication. If you found it before they were, a, they the lobbyists were able to remove it, um, that caused increased aggression. And the reason that they've been removed is because the lobbyists went to court and said, if you allow this to be publicized, people will stop taking their medication. And we don't want people to be afraid of medication that doctors prescribed. Well, of course, they push the doctors to prescribe those drugs. So we, a part of our opioid addiction problem is because doctors have been pushing opioids on people when there was another alternative. Yeah. There are other options, but we, we push a medication on somebody that, to shut them up. You know, we yeah. even give opioids to our children. We're giving, you know, even, even there's a smoking cessation drug chance. Chantix? I, I don't remember which one. Don't quote me on it. I don't want to get sued. Um, <laughs> that is the highest percentage of an uh, aggression increase when you take it. It's a smoking cessation drug. Hmm. I mean, well, but we allow those. We don't allow cannabis, though. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I would like to see more... Physicians that aren't forced to take insurance, for one, um, there are 
I know of a couple doctors who don't take insurance. What they do instead is they say, okay, like, for example, there's a chiropractor in Derry, Derry or London Derry, who says $25 a modality. You come in, you pay $25, I do the work. Yeah. Because she doesn't have to pay for insurance staff. She doesn't have to pay for an office just for insurance. She doesn't have to pay for all the back and forth between the insurance companies. She's able to keep her costs down. So she's able to pass that savings on to her patients. Yeah. $25 a modality to get chiropractic care. That's incredible. And then there are physician groups that work together so that they can cut down their costs. Mm -hmm. And then if we allow cross-border insurance companies, you, we used to have 18 insurance companies in this state. Mm -hmm. We're down to three. Yeah. And that was all from regulations that we imposed on the health insurance companies back during Maggie Hassan's time here. Yeah. Uh, we went down from eight available insurance there's no competition there anymore so you're forced to pay whatever they want because there's only three insurance companies left in the state yeah. we discourage smaller companies there used to be groups I used to drive around there were companies and conquer there were companies um, all over the state where you could join as a small business owner or as an individual mm -hmm. so that you could get the same rates as a larger business so you'd go to this company this group and they would put you all together and get you one plan hmm. so that you could pay the large group rates yeah. instead of a small or individual group rate and it got you better benefits better access I don't see those anymore I'm not saying they don't exist I haven't seen them in a while hmm. But that was helpful to a lot of our small businesses yeah. because they just didn't have the capital to offer the same thing that your Fortune 500 company could offer you. We need to encourage more of that. We need to, um, we need to look at other options and where we're not. We're just looking at that one option, either yes or no, state-funded, state that's it. Why are we just focusing on that? Why aren't we looking at other options. Why aren't we talking to doctors? Why aren't we talking to our, you know, different facilities as to what they think they could do to solve the issue? Yeah. What could you do to lower prices for people? And if and if you're able to offer contracted rates to to insurance companies, why can't you offer those shorter rates to everyone? What what is yeah. it that's causing you to bill four dollars for a band aid? to an individual. Yeah. I mean, what's causing that? I mean, we know that you're buying Band-Aids at bulk, so you're not paying even what a regular person would pay for a Band-Aid when they go to the grocery store and pick it up or the you know pharmacy and pick up a box of Band-Aids. Your cost is still going to be smaller than theirs. You're paying pennies for a Band-Aid. So why are you charging $4 for a Band-Aid? What is it that we could do to fix this? Now, everyone can get some form of health care. If you go into an emergency room tomorrow and say, I have no way to pay you, they are not allowed to turn you away. Yeah. You know, this is not something that's new. This has been in place for years and years and years. Um, I first started working for a health insurance company back in 1997. So I know it's been in place because it was in place years and years and years before I started working for a health insurance company that they can't can't say no to you. Uh, they can't, no facility, no hospital can say, can decline life-saving procedures to anyone. Mm -hmm. um, but then, you know, people say we really need socialized medicine. In every place that socialized medicine happens, you know, everybody gets care, everybody gets treatment. Uh, but then let's look at those little to toddlers over in England who not only were they declined a life-saving procedures because it was it was not cost-effective, but they were their parents were denied access to the child to take them out to another facility yeah. out of country, and so those children ended up dying. There are people in Canada who have told me that they have waited six months, you know, for a hernia repair to the point where it became, you know, entangled. And now they have a life-threatening issue. Um, there was a person in Canada who said they, um, I don't remember if it was Canada or the UK, I'm not sure which one, 
think it was Canada, where uh, they allow you women to go in for a pap smear every three years. Here it's every year. You're encouraged to go in once a year for a pap smear in, in socialized medicine it's every three years. Well, they accidentally brought her in a year early. Mm-hmm. And when they brought her in, they were like, ah, oh, well, you're here. Why don't we just do it? We'll just, you know, change your schedule from here on in. She was like, okay. Well, found out she had cervical cancer. And if they had waited that one extra year, she would have died. Hmm. And she never would have known it. She simply would have died of cancer. Yeah. You know, this is, this is what socialized medicine gets you because they start going based on cost, not based on need. And I don't think that that's the way that our people should be treated. Yeah. It wouldn't be the same treatment with less cost. It would be less treatment to go along with that cost. Yeah. Right now, insurance companies operate at a loss when it comes to Medicaid and Medicare. It, they just do. They lose money on every patient they have that is Medicaid or Medicare. Um, so that's, and that's just fact. So if we do that to everything, we'll start finding doctor people who say, I'm not going into the medical field. I couldn't possibly make money as a doctor. And we already struggle with that in New Hampshire. We are constantly looking for nurses. We're constantly looking for doctors. We can't afford to keep them. So those are, those are the issues we face. Yeah. And we should be bringing these people in and finding out what is it, what, what's going on, what, how can we fix this. And we're not talking to the people actually in the field. Instead, we're talking to politicians who don't have medical degrees. How, how are they supposed to know what's needed? You know, when you talk to a lawyer about what it takes to clean your drain, I mean, yeah, the lawyer's really smart, but you're not going to know how to clean the drain in my in my sink. So, yeah. I mean, let's talk to the people who actually have the specialty in the area. Yeah, I like it. Pretty cool. So I think those are all the big ones. I'm sure we could do this all day. Like, <laughs> Probably. Like, I could too. It's kind of funny. I haven't even given any of my opinions on most of the things. So it's pretty good. I like it. So thank you so much for joining me. Well, thank you um, very much for having me. Absolutely. And uh, all the best wishes as we continue forward with this. Thank you. November 6th. <laughs> Don't forget to vote. Yeah. Oh, so actually, this brings up a really good thing. So while we're here, because I know we had some issues during the primary, yes. beforehand, what should people be doing? Or do they have to register? Like, How do they go about making well, sure they're able to cast a the vote? The good thing is about the general ballot is that everybody's on one ballot. Okay. So it doesn't matter what party <laughs> you're part of, you get the ballot. Um, know that we found out that libertarians will be listed with all the undeclared people mm-hmm. in one column. We okay. will not be separated into our own column the way the Democrats and the Republicans are. So you will have to look for us in that last column with all the undeclared people. So you won't know the difference. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure why they decided to do that, but I guess it's because they didn't, they didn't want a cluttered ballot with too many columns since there weren't that many libertarians actually running for office. So it wasn't worth their time to increase the ballot. Um, so we shall, we shall see about that. But yes, you can go in, you can grab any ballot you want uh, because it's only one and yeah. vote for any person that you want on it. Just don't vote straight ticket. Never vote straight ticket. Find out everything you can about your candidates Every candidate from, you know, who you think is the hardest to find out about your most local candidate in your area all the way up to your congressional representative. Uh, We have some great people running, so find out as much as you can about them. Cool. Uh, Where would they go to find out more about each candidate? Well, you can go to lpnh.org, and we have a tab for candidates, and it will list every single candidate that will be on the ballot. We're actually in the process of updating that. It'll be updated tomorrow. The reason why is because there are people that, you know, for the write-ins and everything, they have until today to sign a document saying, yes, they accept, or um, uh, the, the new nomination and so once that is done, we will update our list to all the people who got added. I know of at least two, three, or four, four, four or five people that are, will be added to our candidate list. And of course, we'll remove people um, who, um, like 
Aaron will no longer be listed as running for governor. So yeah. so you'll only have to click on, um, you'll only have the list of people who are actually going to be on your ballot, yeah. what they'll be on the ballot for, and you'll be able to click on their link if they've provided it. There are a couple people I'm still trying to get them to provide their links, but um, we, we try to make sure that you have all the information you can have. And of course, the uh, citizens count uh, which used to be Live Free or Die Alliance. Yeah. Um, they have an app that lists all of your candidates for your town, so you just have to put in your town. You can have it right on your phone, and you can go through and click on them, and if they've filled out the, the survey there, it'll tell you what all their issues are, what their answers were on those issues. So I'm on there. Um, when you click on Governor, um, it'll tell you all the different candidates. Last I looked, they still had everybody that was on the primary. I'm hoping that they update that, but our list will at least be updated. That's lpnh.org. Okay, awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. So thank you guys so much for watching. Hope everyone learned something fantastic today. <laughs> and uh, we'll see you all next time. <laughs>